0: Matthew chapter 6, as we continue talking about the Lord's Prayer and how to pray and how the Lord taught us to pray. So, we're going to finish verse 10 today and move on through the the last half of the Lord's Prayer beginning uh, the first Sunday in February. So, it's taken us a month to do the first half of the Lord's Prayer. It'll take us the month of February to finish up the last half of the Lord's Prayer. So let's look at verse 10 together. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So today we're going to camp out on that one phrase, your will be done. Your will be done. There's a bar in Mount Vernon, Texas called Drummond's, and Drummond's began construction on an expansion of their building, hoping to grow their business. In response, the local Southern Baptist church started a campaign to block the bar from expanding. They made petitions to the city, but More than that, they began to have special prayer services asking God to intervene in this situation. About a week before the bar's grand opening, a bolt of lightning struck the bar and burned it to the ground. Afterward, the church folks were rather smug, bragging about the power of prayer. The angry bar owner eventually sued the church on grounds that the church, and this is a quote, was ultimately responsible for the demise of his building through direct actions or indirect means, end quote. Of course, the church vehemently denied all responsibility or any connection to the building's demise. The judge, carefully, uh, the judge read, read carefully through the plaintiff's complaint and the defendant's reply. He then opened the hearing by saying, quote, I don't know how I'm going to decide this, but it appears from the paperwork that that what we have here is a bar owner who now believes in the power of prayer and an entire church congregation that does not. (laughs) One more story to kind of set the scene for this morning. Tim Keller, uh, who many of you are reading through this wonderful devotional, has also written a book on prayer. And on page 9 and 10 of his book on prayer, I read these words. In the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer. Now think about that. This is a a, a very successful, quote-unquote successful pastor has advanced degrees, pastors, uh, uh, well, he's retired now, at the time was pastoring a, a large and growing church in New York City, has written numerous books, is one of the top speakers on the uh, conference circuit in Christianity. It says, I discovered prayer in the second part, second half of my life. In the fall of 1999, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms. It became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks of New York after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate, uh, corporate clinical depression, even as it rallied. For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife Kathy struggled with the effects of Crohn's disease. Finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, At one point during all of this, my wife urged me to do something with her. We had never been able to do something with her. We had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. (laughs) Every night? She used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. As we remember it, she said something like this. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, if we don't pray... Together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it just slip our minds. I tell you these two stories this morning because most Christians are like the church in the first story. They pray but doubt. It is my prayer that our series on prayer, on the prayer life of Jesus will cause us a fresh discovery of prayer in our life. It is is my hope and my prayer for this series has been that you would have an experience much like Tim and Kathy Keller had as they were going through the deep, dark moments of their life and all of a sudden realized that if they didn't pray, they weren't going to make it. I mean, we're we're not talking about some average Christian. We're talking about people who write books and have uh, degrees in theology and who uh, pastor a large church, and yet they are coming to this point in time in their life because of a convergent of events to where if we don't pray, we're not going to make it. And what we need this morning is in our hearts We need that illustration to become true. We need to feel the need of prayer so great that we would feel like if I did not pray, I would die. That if I did not pray, that I won't make it. We need that sense of urgency in our hearts this morning. And I can't put that in your heart. I can put it before your heart. But only the Holy Spirit can take that and put it in your heart. And that's my prayer for us this morning. The orientation of the Lord's Prayer reveals to us its objective. Remember, what is the orientation of the Lord's Prayer? What's its objective? To reorient my heart. Because my heart is still stuck on me. Amen? Your heart, you're saved. You've been born again. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. But how many, how many of you know and will admit The natural orientation of your heart is to be stuck on you. Our hearts are bent inward and not upward. It is not natural to turn our eyes towards Jesus, but ourselves. The opening words of the Lord's Prayer are tone setting. There's nothing that reinforces our humanity more than prayer. You typically don't find atheists in foxholes because life is a way of reminding us of our humanity prayer is a natural response to an experience that reminds us of our humanity prayer is a natural response to an experience that reminds us of our humanity i guarantee you you could take the most irreligious person put them in a situation of desperation and they will pray why because it is human it is human most people pray what I call 9 prayers. We don't pray more than we do because we don't believe we are as human as we are. Think about that for a second. If most of our prayers are 9 prayers, send up to God, help me God, get me out of this God, give me this God. The reason why we don't pray more than we do is because we don't believe we are as human as we are. Listen, gods don't pray. You may say, huh? Gods don't pray. If you are a prayerless individual, it is because gods don't pray. Are you following me? You're not praying because you believe you are God. And until you're put into a position where your Godhood is called onto the carpet and you actually begin to pray, now you're admitting that you're not God and that you're human. Gods don't pray because they're too powerful. Gods don't pray because they're too wise. Only humans pray because they are too weak and too foolish. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, not as I will, but as what? You will. If the Son of God prayed this way, how much more do we need to pray this way? Jesus was a man of prayer. Amen? Would you agree with that? He's a man of prayer. He did not need any experience to press him into prayer. He never ceased to pray. Gethsemane's garden shows us a clear picture of his humanity. Matthew's first hand account paints a picture, uh, excuse me, paints a compelling composition of his humanity using very powerful adverbial and adjectival strokes. Jesus, fully God and man, is experienced in the depths of his humanity, and his response in the depths of that humanity was what? To pray. Not just any prayer, but a prayer which he had prayed every day of his life. Not as I will, but as you will, Father. And I know, y'all are educated Bible students. You're saying, this, that's the only time we know that he prayed that prayer. How could you say he prayed that prayer every day of his life? We don't need a prior record to know that he prayed in such a manner. His teaching should be sufficient, and if not, then his own life should squelch any doubt. So let me just prove to you that he prayed this prayer every day. Watch this: John 4:34 Jesus said to them, "My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. D- do you not hear? Not as I will, but as you will? How about John 5:30? I can do nothing of my own. as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek." Not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You hear it? Again? How about one more time? Three times is a charm, right? And three times is proof. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So let me ask you a question How can Jesus say such words if he does not daily pray, not as I will, but as you will, Father? And listen. If Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, lived a life of submission, how necessary is it that we live in like manner? The Son was equal in all respects to the Father, yet He willingly submitted Himself to the Father. Listen, Jesus never used prayer to get His Father to submit to His will, but as a means by which He submitted to the Father's will. You see, some of us are using prayer to try to get God to submit to our will rather than using prayer as a means by which God gets us to submit to His will. Prayer is the mechanism that bends our knee and our will to the Father. I watch a lot of uh, British television, uh, especially going back to um, the 14, 15, 1600s, 1700s, And you see the way people would approach uh, a king. And it was always about bending the knee. What do you do when you bend the knee? That means you're bending your will. You're submitting your will to the will of the king. That's why Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. Why? Because we are to come as his subjects and submit to him by bending our knee. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we must kneel to pray. But the reason why it, it is a good idea to kneel when you pray is nothing more than a good reminder that prayer is about kneeling and submitting before God. This line of the Lord's prayer concludes the opening half, and the opening half of the Lord's prayer has uh, the word "your" in it three times. Your, uh, your kingdom come. Your name be hallowed, and now your will be done. So the opening half centers around the word your. Now the last half that will begin next week centers around the word our. But you can't get to praying our until you have prayed your. So let's take a moment and, and retrace our journey so far in the Lord's Prayer. Okay. In week one, we learned that our Father gives us access to God in prayer through adoption. Okay, So we get to come into God's presence in prayer with confidence and assurance because of adoption. Week two, what did we learn? Hallowed be thy name. That reorients our heart through beholding, bethinking, be appraising, and be expressing. Last week we learned that praying your kingdom come reorients my heart away from my preoccupation with building my kingdom. And today we'll learn that your will be done is dangerous, yet delightful. So three quick points. And you say, you never do anything quick. Watch this. You're going to be surprised this morning. You're going to be really surprised. One, feel the gravity. You've got to feel the gravity. We get to this part of the Lord's Prayer. You have got to feel the weight of what you're praying. You You cannot pray this flippantly. Submission is not safe, for God's will is rarely ours. God's will is never safe as we define safety. But listen, it is sure. I can't stand it when people say the safest place in the world to be is in the center of God's will. That's the surest place to be, but it ain't the safest. Do you know how many people have lost their lives doing the will of God? A lot. It, it's not safe as we define safe, but it's the surest place, and it is the best place to be. Jesus was always living out his Father's will, and it was anything but safe. The prayer is dangerous, humanly speaking, but delightful, spiritually speaking. Does Christianity or does your Christianity call you to tiptoe through life only to arrive at death safely? Christian, have you forgotten the magnitude of your calling? John 12, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears fruit. That's the will of God, that you bear fruit. Well, how are you going to bear fruit? You must die. You must submit. Or how about Matthew 16? Then Jesus told his disciples, 'If if anyone would come after me, let him... Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit if a man gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Don't sanitize or strip these verses of their intended meaning. They are weighty. They are gravitational words. And and you may say, what do you mean... By gravitational words. They keep us grounded. Like gravity keeps you on the ground. These kinds of words ground us into our faith. They keep us connected to who we really are. They press us into praying, not as I will, but as you will. If we don't pray like this, now listen, if we don't pray like this, we, we won't see the kingdom of God. Failure to pray in such a manner reveals our true citizenship. And you said, now, hold on, Brother Jason. You're kind of making it sound like if we don't pray like that, that we're not going to go to heaven. No, I didn't say that. But I do want you to see what Jesus said about it. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Jesus said citizens of heaven bend the knee constantly submitting themselves to the will of the Father. That is the mark of Christianity. I didn't say this would be an easy prayer to to pray. Yet there should be within every true follower of Christ a compulsion to pray in such a manner. There should be something in us that though we know it's painful, says amen when we hear that. Do such verses evoke amen? Do they energize you to run to your prayer closet and pray, not as I will, but as you will? Only those who deny themselves can experience true delight. Listen, Jesus picked up his cross for the joy set before him. Right? Isn't that what Hebrews tells us? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Listen, if there is joy for Jesus in picking up his cross, is there any less joy for us? And some of us have spent a lot of our Christianity trying to avoid that cross in order to get joy, and Jesus is saying the joy is in the cross. Look at Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who... who brought pain brought again from the dead our lord jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant watch this equip you with every good that you may do his will you see prayer is is a tool that our father has provided for us to equip us to do his will it's a tool that's how we get. People will say, I want to do God's will. I want to do God's will. Then you must pray, not as I, not, not as I will, but as you will. Point number two. So you've got to feel the gravity of it. <laughs> this is a dangerous prayer. But if you pray it, you're going to experience growth. You must pray this prayer to experience growth. This is a growth prayer. When we pray, we acknowledge that which is true about us, that we are weak and we are foolish. If we pray rightly, that's what we're doing. We're acknowledging our weakness and our foolishness. Nothing promotes more significant growth in our life than our acknowledgement of such a truth. In Christianity, childlike faith is the sign of maturity. Now, some of y'all were here Wednesday night and you already got a little taste of this, but if it's new to you this morning, you, you got to think about this. Resting in our Father through submission infuses the weak and the foolish with strength and wisdom. You see, childlike faith enables us to put away childish things. What, what type of children typically thrive? Those who submit to the leadership and the authority of their parents. Isn't that even in the commandment, honor your father and mother, that what? Your days may be long upon the earth. What kind of children thrive? The ones who who rest in the wisdom of their parents, in the goodness of their parents. Well, let me ask you a question, Christian. You will never out, you you will always be a, a child in faith. And childlike faith is simply you and I daily coming to God saying, God, I am foolish, I am weak, but you are wise and you are strong, not as I will today, but as you will. That's childlike faith, and you won't act childish if you, if you come to God with that prayer. How about proof? Look at Luke 2. And when his parents saw him they were astonished and his mother said to him son why have you treated us so behold your father and i have been searching for you in great distress oh by the way moms and dad this is the time where uh jesus parents lost him so if you've ever lost a kid it's okay mary and joseph they lost jesus and i know your kid's important but there was no kid more important than jesus of course he's never lost at the same token but needless to say And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Do you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Watch, watch, and was, ooh. You know what I've always, when I was doing student ministry, I always told students, that there's no way that you can be submissive to God if you're not submissive to the authority in your life, humanly speaking? Don't tell me you're submissive to God and not submissive to your parents. Because how can you submit to something that you can't see when you can't submit to something that you can see? And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now watch, here's the growth factor. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. There is no obedience without submission. If submission feels barbaric or tyrannical, then you don't know God as Father. Praying not as I will, but as you will, does not restrict us from good, but releases us to pursue our ultimate good. And that leads me to the last point. In this prayer of praying not as I will, but as you will, you know what you're actually doing? You are pursuing your ultimate good. You are pursuing your ultimate good. Now, our human mind says there's no way that can be your ultimate good submission because that's restriction, that's barbaric, that's dictatorial, that can't be for your good. And the Bible says it is for your good. Adoption reassures my heart that submission is for my good, though it is dangerous. So yes, submitting to God is dangerous, but I can have assurance that my Father is going to be with me in that danger. Why? Because I've been adopted, and an adoption assures us that He will never abandon us. When Jesus prayed, not as I will, but as you, as you will, Hebrews 12 two says, for the joy that was set before Him and endured the cross, Jesus saw His ultimate good and ours in His prayer. Could there be a more dangerous proposition than death by crucifixion? No. Then where did Jesus get the joy? He said in Matthew 26, 39, and 42, My Father, when you know God as Father, you can trust Him with what seems to contradict His trustworthiness. Did you get that? When you know God as Father, you can trust Him with what seems to contradict his trustworthiness. In the garden, the first Adam disobeyed the father concerning the tree. Remember? First, first Adam, tree, disobedience. In the garden, the second Adam, Jesus, obeyed the father concerning the tree. The first Adam separated himself from the father by sin. The father separated himself from the second Adam when he became sin so that the descendants of the first Adam could become sons and daughters of the second Adam's father. So let me close with an illustration. How do you know if prayer is going to work in your life? How do you know it's going to work? Hmm? If you say your will be done, then the Bible says, then you go to God. Then you, you go to God and you ask for all kinds of things. God loves to pour out all kinds of stuff on the hearts of people who start... Their prayer with your will be done. If if you condition your heart to say your will be done, your father will release his power out into history through your prayer. There was an unhappy man in the book of Genesis. His name was Jacob. Jacob wrestled with God all of his life. He was always in conflict with people. Even when he came out, he was already in conflict, right? He was reaching up, trying to grab. He had, uh, he had a fight with his brother Esau to get his father's love, and he still didn't get it. He had a fight with his uncle to get the wife he wanted. He had to fight for his career. He was always in conflict. And one night, out all alone in a desert, a stranger ap- appears and begins to wrestle with Jacob. They wrestle for hours. As time goes on, Jacob begins to realize... This is more than just mere mortal combat. He begins to realize this is the meaning of his life. He begins to realize that all his life he has been angry at God. All his life he has felt God has not given him the blessing he deserved. He had to scheme and to struggle to get the wife he wanted. He had to scheme and struggle to get the career he wanted. And he still wasn't happy. God never gave him what he deserved. And now Jacob begins to realize, he begins to suspect that this one that he's wrestling with is God in human form. And instead of saying, I give up. God, it's you. I give up. He does just the opposite. He, He thinks, finally, my chance to pin God down, my chance to finally get him where he has to give me what I deserve. He wrestles with every fiber of his being and more. And yet, just before daybreak, the stranger shows who he really is and how much strength is really in him. He reaches over. And do you remember what he does? He touches his thigh. And the entire leg, Jacob's entire leg becomes paralyzed and goes totally lame. The battle is over with. And Jacob realizes he lost, and in a moment of clarity, Jacob turns his life. Jacob's life turns around. He had been trying to demand God give me what I deserve. He had been wrestling with God out of strength. Suddenly, he realized that what, that would never work, and he changes. Are you following me? He suddenly realizes that this is not going to work, and he changes. He turns around and he says, "If I cannot prevail through strength." I'll prevail through weakness. So lame and hurting, he holds on to God, and he won't let him go. The dawn is coming, and the stranger says, Let me go, it's almost daybreak, and you cannot see my face. Both the stranger and Jacob know that nobody can look on the face of God and live. Jacob says, I don't care. Do you remember what he says? I won't let you go until you... Oh, y'all don't know the story? Bless me. You know what Jacob wanted? He wanted the blessing. But do you know what the blessing is? Listen to the Bible. Here's the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. What Jacob was saying is, I just want you. I just want to see your face. I just want you. God looks at him and says, you have been called Jacob up to now, but now you will be called Israel. Because you wrestled with God and man, and you overcame and triumphed. Jacob was born again at that moment because he finally realized after all this time that the only way to win was to surrender. To say, your will be done. To say, all I want is you. Jacob discovered what I hope you will discover, and that is... God is his own happy ending. God is the answer to all of your prayers. The minute that Jacob lost, he won. The minute that he surrendered, he triumphed. Finally, God turned and said, Jacob, I've been waiting for a long time. It was only through his general wrestling that God actually accomplished it in Jacob's life. You know the reason that can happen to you and me is because Jesus is our real champion. And he went off and wrestled with our real problem. It wasn't us, and it wasn't God. The real problem was sin and evil. And Jesus triumphed on the cross because, like Jacob, what did Jesus do? He lost. He said, not my will, but yours be done. He submitted to the Father, and he lost. In that weakness, though, he triumphed. He took the punishment for sin, justice was satisfied, and we can be saved. That's the power of prayer. Submission brings glory to God and our ultimate good. Listen to these words of Paul as we close. Listen. Let me put them on the screen so that you can see them. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? But this is what I want you to see. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Listen, Jesus Christ, in the most difficult moments of his life here on earth, did not, did not follow his own will, but the will of him who sent him. Was it hard? Was it painful? Absolutely. But listen, Think about the ultimate good that came out of Jesus submitting to the will of the Father. Listen, and if God would give up his own son for us all, how will he not graciously give us what is best and most good for us if we follow in the footsteps of his son and say, Father, not as I will, but as you will. Let's pray. Father, it is difficult it is tough to pray those words because everything within us comes to you not for submission but for petition to get from you not to give up not to surrender not to win through losing not to be victorious through submission, and yet to be a follower of yours, to experience the power that is there in prayer, power that can be released into this world and bring about great change and great effect, then we must be willing to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, We must must surrender. We must come admitting that we are weak and that we are foolish and that you are wise and you are strong. We must bend our knee to you and say, King Jesus, whatever you decree, whatever you say, whatever you will, I'll do it. I know it will go against everything that I want to do. I know it will contradict everything that that I as a human being uh, might believe is right or the way something should be done. But I will submit, not because I'm strong enough, but because I'm making myself, I'm bending my knee before you. I am weak and in need of your help to do such. But we believe and trust, Father, that if we do such that you have given us the Holy Spirit, and he will enable us to do your will as we pray and ask that your will be done in our lives. Help us to surrender and submit, and may we do it right now in this moment while your spirit is at work in our hearts and lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want you to stay.